We met Dr. Colin Champ several years back when he was still writing a blog called The Caveman Doctor. I mean, who couldn't love a caveman doctor? Not only was he spreading an encouraging message about getting back to eating, moving, and sleeping the way most humans have for thousands of years, he was also doing sophisticated science around diet and cancer. Our nonprofit, Maxwell Project, eventually brought him out to Children's Hospital of Orange County to give a talk on diet and cancer, and our friendship has grown ever since. Today, Dr. Champ is an associate professor of radiation oncology and a practicing radiation oncologist at Duke University. He's published over 60 research articles and continues to research the impact of nutrition, exercise, and lifestyle on cancer outcomes and long-term quality of life. You can also find his work at colinchamp.com, where you can sign up for his weekly newsletter. I'm super excited to share this episode with you. We get into diet, exercise, and other lifestyle factors for busy families, how Colin balances health, wellness, and the typical work-life stressors, and how Colin, as a physician, thinks about medical care for his own family. Without further ado, here's my Family Thrive conversation with Dr. Colin Chan. I think... We really met when Max of Project brought you out from Pittsburgh to Orange County to talk at the Children's Hospital of Orange County about diet and cancer. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, I absolutely do. It's uh, it's it's crazy because um, someone who helped organize that, who worked at the hospital, I actually had a. Uh, I had uh, treated one of her family members actually oh. a couple of years. I, I never mentioned it to you and she was totally cool with it. it and I just never thought about it, but yeah. And it, it kind of looped everything. Wow. She came to see me and she's like, Oh, I know who you are. You, you know, my family member. Yeah. It was pretty oh, crazy. Dang. Oh, yeah. that is so cool. I love, I love those connections. I love those connections. And then, so you came, you gave a great talk just to, you know, give some extra context that I'm sure you won't be surprised at uh, the talk uh, where, you know, we, we would, we would talk with nurses and uh, dietitians and family members who came to the talk for years after. And the talk was referred to as, Oh, that hot doctor. <laughs> That's what the talk became known as, but it, it it was it was really cool because um it it did serve the intended function that Maxwell Project had, which was bringing the conversation around diet into the cancer world in pediatric cancer. It was just like eat whatever you want as much as you want and really like like shove it in because all we care about is calories and so we like all right here is a physician an oncologist and he's coming and he's saying hey let's start to think about diet in a more sophisticated way than this yeah and it's it's funny because that was what 20 i think it was 20 2015 okay i think So, so that was six years ago which which seems like an eternity ago which but really is not not very long ago and it, right. it, it's funny because i feel like since we have really picked up speed on that message for a portion of the medical field and then for a portion of the medical field it's it's really that that same talk needs to <laughs> <laughs> just every every month or so we just need to have the same talk yeah, like it, it's it, it's interesting. Um, as much as I dislike social media these days, you, you pin something about diet and cancer, and half the people respond, "Yeah, obviously this is like ten years old," and then half the people respond and say, "What are you talking about? That 
doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's a bit disheartening, but I can say that at uh, Children's Hospital of Orange County, uh, that talk was part of a kind of an awakening amongst several oncologists there that like, hey, we we can we can start to talk about diet in a different way and not just say eat whatever you want and just shove as many calories in. So it, it was it was cool and um, and uh, yeah, up until we left it uh ch- chalk was a place that um was much more progressive around thinking around food and i'm just really grateful that you were a part of that um uh and 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 so and so then just to catch us up so we would see each other at conferences like the metabolic health summit and then we we invited you guys out for our farm to fork at, uh for maxwell project and so we've stayed in touch over the years and now with the family thrive we're finding ways to loop you in because not only do you have this wealth of knowledge around diet and really i you know to use that term again metabolic health so it's exercise, it's sleep, it's what are these things we can do with our bodies to improve the way they function. So parents need to know all of that stuff, but also you're a dad and that's kind of a recent thing in your life. Uh, so we're going to get into the dad thing. And so before, before you became a dad, though, you were a doctor. So when do you remember that first inkling of like, yes, this is what I want to do. I want to be a doctor. Huh. So... um yeah, first inkling of that was uh, I was working on the Artificial Heart Project uh, during a summer in uh, in college because I was in engineering and um, it was the University of Pittsburgh. Uh, I had recently passed out when I saw blood. Uh, no way. That hospital. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that, that's when you're like, I need more of this. I need this yeah. in my life every day. <laughs> I want to torture myself because I hate the sight of blood. Um, no, no, but uh, and I, I came to from that and it was just dealing with, I, I like the science of it, but the dealing with people part was was really, really amazing. So I've, I've always loved the, the science of medicine um, and that's why I was in engineering, but then the art of medicine was was really just as, if not maybe a little more important to me. So that pushed me over to say, hey, I can still do I can still do this technology stuff, but I could also deal a lot more with people. So let's instead uh, become a doctor. Mm. And so you didn't just simply become a doctor. I, I I think there are probably a lot of a lot of people who might start out in engineering or some, you know, science field and say, hey, you know, I want to help other people with this. And so they go and they become physicians. Uh, but you became a physician that really pushes against the orthodoxy. So you didn't just like sign up and, and, you know, fade into the background, but rather you were really kind of pushing at the edges. So at what point did you have the realization of like, uh, I'm not going to be a normal doctor. (laughs) I I would say, so the, the nutrition, the lack of actual, you know, tangible, knowledge in the nutrition world and really the lack of of scientific support for the dietary recommendations that we were telling people during my residency and and really how much it conflicted with what I was taught growing up culturally what really most cultures across the world have been passing along for thousands of years that was when it it really hit 
kind of a high note for me. Um, but I must say that even going in, so, so I, I trained in chemical engineering at MIT. Um, all of our tests were open book. They were open notes, open whatever. All of our engineering uh, tests, that that is. Uh, and really, they were just, they were fostering, promoting, and testing your ability to think. So when I got to med school, I took anatomy first, and I took embryology. That was the first course. And um, the embryology part is just pure rote memorization. Yeah. And I remember going into the first test saying, they're not going to ask us any of this stuff. That That's ridiculous. Like, I don't need to know it. what week does this form. And, and I went into the first test and failed it so miserably. I remember. <laughs> You're not supposed to think here, Colin. You're just supposed to remember. <laughs> yeah. And I, I remember calling home and being like, I'm, I'm done. This is, I'll oh, take one wow. more test and I'm, I'm out of med school. This is, this is ridiculous. Oh, wow. It, yeah. And I guess that was kind of the first moment. And then I, kind of forgot about it, what went through med school, then in residency, realizing how bad that the diet and exercise kind of recommendations and science was. And they were regurgitating the same wrong message over and over. And I'm not being overly critical. This this happens all the time. I mean, you know, science is that we're, we're aiming towards that right, right answer. We just don't, we don't know it. So most of what we're doing is wrong. It was just so incredibly wrong uh, that I realized that we really needed to, to just start all over again. And so that that motivated me to start questioning things, obviously, in the background as a resident and then more in the open now that I'm uh, somewhat somewhat successful researcher. Well, really out out in the open, because your first book was provocatively titled misguided medicine and so you like you just came right out into the open you're like there there's a there's a ton of stuff that we're getting wrong here do you want to talk about how that book kind of formed in your mind sure so that that was really when, when i started my my blog which was was caveman doctor which i didn't put my name on it because i was fearful of questioning anything out in the open and that was in the early stages of of blogging and internet and it was that was when we didn't have all these plugins where they do it for you. That was like not very attractive yeah. looking. Yeah, the old the old school. Yeah. And the New York Times hadn't got around to outing your name yet. So Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so I, I just was writing articles that were interesting to me. Um, a lot of them cancer based, uh, most most of them dietary based, especially in, in the weight loss world, because at that point really all we had were a bunch of randomized studies showing that that low fat calorie counting type diets didn't work. And this was shown again and again and again in all of these randomized studies. Yet on the other hand, I am learning all of these cancer randomized studies with radiation, with chemotherapy, with hormonal therapy as the gold standard of medicine. And so on, on one hand, I'm taking the results of these to treat patients how I do, the dose of radiation I did, the type of radiation I recommended, except with the diet world, we were just ignoring all these randomized studies that were coming out. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that was really where I started writing about that, and then I realized how much I realized how much collateral damage there was from that message, and that could be salt because if you put people on a high carb diet, oftentimes they retain salt because it increases levels of insulin. So then, then they tell people to go on a low salt diet, and then when you start digging and pulling at threads in that strand of I don't I don't want to say lies, but just regurgitated to a degree nonsense. You, you realize how bad these salt recommendations are and how they're not supported by the data either. 
And then you just keep looking and, you know, avoid the sun. You know, don't ever go out in the sun or lather on sunscreen. Protein will kill your kidneys. Yeah, it, it, exactly. And stuff that, you know, we, we just always kind of believed. And then there's real, really no data to support it. And, and not only is there no data su- to support it, but there's actually data to say the opposite. Hmm. So, you know, lack, lack of data is to support something is one thing. But when you have contradictory data saying that not only is it, you know, not only should you not do this, it, it's actually bad to, to not do it. Th- then you have to really start to re- rethink things. And then you even look at the exercise recommendations. That was another one that killed me. It was, you know, go jogging, run, run for hours and hours. You're going to burn all these calories and somehow get skinny. And then I know a handful of, of 50 to 60 year old longtime marathon runners, elite runners who are having heart attacks, friends, parents who are having heart attacks. And it, at that point, and maybe it was just coincidental in, in my family and friends, there was a large number, but it really struck a chord with me that the number of people I knew that were supposedly physically fit, having heart attacks, knees were destroyed. Then you start pulling on that thread and you realize that there's this whole slew of issues that were just perpetuated over the past 30 years or so. So, so that is my long winded way of saying I started writing each of these down and then exploring them, writing about it on my blog. And basically it came up to like the top 10 medical issues and somehow it found its way to misguided medicine was what a uh, group said I, I should do. I think I like tweeted it or put it on Facebook. I said, which is better. Oh, oh, you, you, yeah. So you did the, the, uh, market research. <laughs> nice. And, and I wrote it, um, it was longer at first. There's, there's two editions. The first was drier. The second one's better. And then my, my friend referred to it as he, he liked it because each chapter could be read, uh, each time he sat down to go to the bathroom. <laughs> nice. Nice. And yeah. Not too complicated. I am going to follow this thread through and then I want to ask about the writing for you because you write a lot. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised I am on your email list and it's like, oh my God, he writes and you're a really good writer. And so, okay, screw it. I'm just going to go down this, this is path. When did you know that like you love to write? So great question. So I was always a terrible writer. And my first, when I started writing on the blog, um, you could see how I, I just never, I never pushed myself in that regard. And so I realized that to convey my message, um, and I know there's, you know, everyone is saying you should do video, you should do YouTube, you should do, I just have an issue with all of these things that I, I see as lacking permanence to a degree. Like I want to, I want a book to hand my daughter and say, mm. I wrote this 10 years ago. It's still pertinent or 20 years ago. I think you should read this. So I realized that, that I thought, you know, writing was still very important to me. Uh, and then I realized I needed to get better at writing. I needed to convey what I was thinking better. I needed to do it in a creative way. And I needed to take science that was dense and make it translatable for any person to pick up and read. And I realized the only way I was going to get better at it uh, was I, I don't I don't like speaking in front of a lot of people. I don't like a lot of attention. I've, we can talk about that's a whole different thing. But uh, mm. I figured I'm just going to write and I'm going to publish it all online. And I'm going to let people email me and say, hey, you said this or you did this or this is good or this is bad. And it, it, free audience, free critique. And so that, that's what I did. And I got I got hate mail. I got, hey, this oh, is wow. yeah, yeah. I got 
all over the map. I like that you're doing this. I don't like that you're doing that. Hey, this is great. Hey, this isn't. And it, it just, it was the best way to polish my writing and uh, got me to where I am today. And if, yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying I'm, I'm this, I'm this great writer, but, but if you compare what I'm writing now versus then it's, it's yeah. night and day. I was just from trial by fire. Okay, so that's really interesting. There's a part of you that doesn't want attention that is not comfortable being out in the spotlight. But then there's another part of you that's like, I have something to say and I need to get it out. Do you experience that as like a battle or? or yeah, I mean, it's 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 tough to in academia. So it's, it's very easy to be, I mean, it, ignore 2020 and 2021. Prior to 2020 and 2021, it's very easy to be discredited or you question something you're called a quack or you know it's it's you you don't want to promote yourself but then you want to get across an idea in the way that social media the metrics are set up that if you don't promote yourself no one sees your idea so it's certainly a it's it's a whole conflicting you know even if even if our ideas are novel we're we're promoting a we're promoting something external to us so it's 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 not us but it's weird that you see like even in the dietary world, right? Like ketogenic diet, like everyone wants to be like, I'm the king of keto. You know, I, I pushed, I talked about keto. Well, Jeff Bullock was running these studies like 20 years ago. Oh yeah. Right. When I was like in, I was still in high school. <laughs> yeah. You know? And, and so we all do interesting things, but odds are someone has done it first or laid some groundwork, right? It's like the intermittent fasting gurus online. Like, you know, they're, so it ends up being them promoting themselves and not actually, you know, what they should be promoting is, is the science or whatnot. And I get it. You, it's hard to have one without the other. Um, so it's, it, it is a battle. It remains a battle. Um, but I, I, so my, really my strategy has been to push the science, um, push the studies, the research, et cetera, add some humor, make it translatable. And I know that doesn't catch everyone, uh, but I'm not, I'm not out there for self-promotion or to be shirtless on, on Twitter or video doing videos of me cooking meals 10 times. A, you know, it's just, that stuff takes tons of time. I have a family. Right. But if we do want to do a shirtless call in cooking live event for the family thrive, I mean, we're not going to rule that out. Right. Colin? <laughs> I'm, I'm open to all possibilities. <laughs> um, all right. So you, yeah. So what I'm he- hearing is that this maybe internal battle in you is like, on the one hand, you know, you're not seeking out fame and the limelight, but, uh, but on the other, you, ha- you, you, you have stuff that you want to put out there that what is really the decisive factor here is a commitment to science. Like you, you want the science to get out there. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, a, a good friend and media coach uh, that I've worked with, who's just a dynamite person. Um, we kind of had this back and forth battle where, you know, she's saying, you need to do this. You need to do more promotion. You need to, and, and she was, was totally right to get the message out there. She's like, you're, this message is important, so you need to look past all that stuff. The most important thing is to get it out there. Well, then you have guys like Kevin Kelly um, from Wired Magazine, who he has this thing about thousand true fans where you just need to be yourself and be real. And so it's funny you mentioned my newsletter because that's kind of been my – I have all this different stuff, but that's my just – you know, I sit down and write. It's me in, in my office by myself or with my wife, with my daughter – and it's just the real stuff, stuff that's bugging me, stuff that's important. Um, and I 
really have been focusing on that. And the readers of that have been quadrupling every day. It's a great newsletter. Yeah. And, and, I mean, you have the kind of literary part at the beginning and then at the end, you got these like bullet points of the latest science. So you, you get a little of, of, of it all in there. Yeah. And so now I feel like it's vindication to a degree because people are, it, it's funny. I had my, my email wasn't forwarding. So actually for like six months, I thought no one was even reading it. And then I realized that it, it, there was, it was disconnected. And I had like, I forget how many, like 1200 emails waiting for me, but yeah. people are like, yeah, this is really speaking to me. This is great. And I got a couple angry people, uh, especially cause you know, as you know, I don't like, I don't like politics and I, vocal about just getting politics out of out of lives and people were like thought that was the worst thing in the world but um yeah it's so i I really feel like i am speaking to people it's slow this is a marathon i'm I'm looking to do this the rest of my life so if i don't become overly popular in the next uh six months Mm. i don't i don't care it's taken me 10 years to get where i am now yeah yeah it is a life project So this commitment to science, let's go back real quick to the misguided medicine book. What has changed for the better since you first wrote that book? Like, do you see any positive changes? Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's, 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 that's great. You, you brought that up. Cause I don't, I don't think uh, the positives of these things are, are brought up a lot. Yeah. Social media. Yeah. I mean, there, there's been huge change. So exercise world is, is flipped upside down. You know, more people are lifting weights. Uh, we have a study that's on hold right now because of COVID at Duke, but where we're taking our women with breast cancer up to age 70 and throwing heavy for them weights on them, having them squat, having them do all the stuff that you never think about. The SALT data, there was just a huge uh, study that came out. That's, that's been flipped on its head. I think a lot of people are questioning the whole sun, you know, with, with, with reason, right? Don't, don't, don't go outside and get burned and yada, yada, yada. But they're realizing, oh, actually, maybe the sun's good for you. We should be telling people to get out. And then obviously the low fat uh, world is that that whole thing has been flipped. The ketogenic diet's getting tested in cancer. It's getting, you know, Verta Health has started the VA. They're putting our veterans on these, these diets that have been shown to be successful in randomized studies. So I I think there's a lot of positive steps forward. One of the funny things that just came to to mind, how, how things have changed. I think when I first started to follow you, it was, it it was in the caveman doctor day. So it it might've been 2012 or 2013. And so thinking about all the way back then to the present day, Back then it was, you know, low carb diets could still kill you. Keto would kill you. And now it seems like the conventional line is, well, keto is not a miracle or low carb is not a miracle. So we've gone from it's going to kill you to like, well, okay, it's not a miracle. (laughs) You know, like that's, that's progress where they're saying, oh yes, of course it, it helps, but it's just not a miracle. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's the science world and then there's what people are actually doing. And I know, these these terms are all vague to a degree. I, I like kind of the low carb paleo ish, uh, but then when they were questioning people of what diets can you actually stay on, um, that's one of the that's one of the most successful diets for people is when they go on these, this paleo esque diet. Whereas 
you know, the 25% calorie restricted, low fat diet, uh, the adherence is, is terrible. So, you know, say what you want about what's the best or worst diet on the same note, a diet that no one can follow. It doesn't matter how great it is. You know, we need adherence and and people are now experimenting on themselves and, and seeing what works for them. So I think it's great. It's very positive. So there have been these positive changes in medicine, but I imagine there's still a few things that have not budged. So what do you see that just is not making the sort of progress that you wish? The, yeah, so the, the low fat, I mean, if you see a dietitian at most medical centers, they're going to, they're going to tell you all the stuff that you would have gotten told, you know, 1975. So it's still low fat. It's still count calories. It's still do all the stuff that everyone knows you, you know, you can't do. So that, that's been taking a lot longer to budge, which is unfortunate because there's a lot of awesome dietitians out there. Mm -hmm. Um, But it makes a lot of physicians, just being very frank here, um, it makes a lot of physicians scared or very hesitant to send their patients to dietitians. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. When we, uh, so with Maxwell Project, we work with some amazing registered dietitian, clinical dietitians, but we know that, quite frankly, they're kind of rare. Yeah. Yeah. So most physicians I know will call me up and say, where can I send patients? I can't yeah. send them to the dietitian. Yeah. Yeah. It's a shame. Yeah. So that needs to change. Before we move on, I do want to note that the dietary approach that y- you mentioned, the paleo esque uh, low carb, is exactly what we promote uh, on the Family Thrive. And so when you get on it, you can go to the Nourish 101 workshop and it's going to have all the details about a paleo-esque low-carb approach. Um, It's not the extreme keto or, you know, these other uh, more therapeutic clinical diets, but it's like an everyday approach. So before we move on real quick, Colin, what does this sort of eating look like in your own life? So uh, basically it's all food, all real food. I mean, we we cook everything we eat in the, uh, the champ household, eggs for breakfast with some kind of vegetable if I do breakfast, coffee with heavy cream. Okay, okay so y- you don't always do breakfast. No, on the weekends, I, I usually just, I mean, you could say intermittent fast, but I just skip breakfast. And then sometimes during the week, I'll skip breakfast as well. If I am forgot that I have a patient at 7.30 in the morning, like on Friday, and I'm sitting there in my bathrobe at 7.10, I will... <laughs> <laughs> As I shoot to work, shoot off to work. Um, but yeah, I try to keep it not so regimented and kind of all over the place just to keep my body guessing, I guess. Um, and then lunch and dinner are always just a hand, a ton of vegetables and then some cook, you know, cooked in olive oil or raw or whatever, uh, or cooked in butter and then some sort of fat and protein. So whether it's, Anything from shrimp, shrimp to lamb to steak to salmon, just you know what, whatever, all over the map. And then the only other things are you know cheese. I love cheese. Uh, do well made like my cousins make soppressata, which is like Italian uh, yeah meat that's supposedly terrible for you, but I question that. Uh, and then red wine, dry yes. red wine. Yes, yes.
So let's just take a step back here. You are now a dad. Uh, did you always know that you wanted to be a dad or was there a moment where you're like, this is, this is it. This is, this is going to be awesome. I, I always did. And I, the surprise for me is actually how late in life it was. But when I was in my medical training, I basically said, I'm, I don't want to have a kid until this is all done. Cause I will not be able to be giving what I should for this. Yeah. So, so you knew it was just a matter of waiting until the time was right. And so what has surprised you most about fatherhood? So you always knew, but I'm sure there were some, there have been some surprises. Well, number one, how much my sleep would be interrupted. Ooh. Uh, still at 15 months, still happening. Yeah. That, that was a big surprise. Um, and really, I mean, we're, you know, we're, we're at a very young age right now. Um, but I will say, so it, it's very intense, uh, but it has really made me rethink in a very positive way, kind of where I am, how I view things in life and, and really just stopping to put a, making everything so goal oriented and, and, and everything has to be quote. And, you know, we're, we're told everything has to be instrumental, right? It's, it's a, uh, you do this because of this and you, it's pretty nice to, you know, I'm stressed out about X, Y, or Z. And my daughter's like, thinks playing peekaboo is the most amazing thing in the entire world. And I'm just like, man, all right, I need to step back and just play a little more. Ooh, Colin, I love this word instrumental. It's one of my favorites because you're, you're, you're right. So much in our lives, it, it's, it's simply instrumental. I'm going, you know, to this job to get the money, you know, and I'm doing this, this thing in order to achieve this other thing. And, and, um, I mean, unfortunately, we're, we're, we're taught to treat other people in instrumental ways. You know, I'm giving, like, I'm interacting with this clerk at the store in order to get stuff. Like, it's not an, an intrinsic relationship. Relationship. And it even, because, uh, you know, as I said before we hopped on this, I've been doing a lot of work around emotions and emotional processing. It's even the case that we fall in love and have long-term partners for unconscious instrumental reasons. We're often trying to like get something that we didn't get in childhood. You know, can you love me in the way that I never got, you know, but when you have a kid, there's there's something that just busts through all that. And it's like, this thing, this is the most intrinsic relationship in the world. It's like, I, like, I love this simply because it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, you can have goals set up. Like, you know, it's Saturday, I'm going to do this, this, this. And then she wakes up and says, nope. You're, you're not doing any of that. We're just yeah. hanging out. Can you just give me some love and attention, yeah. and that's all, and then it's all good. Oh yeah. my god! Yes, yes. <laughs> I love that. So that has been a surprise in um, fatherhood. Yeah, I, I, I want to reflect on that. I, I think um, I'm. I might have had an inkling about that when my kids were young, but I didn't. I, I didn't wait until my PhD. We scheduled Max. Because uh, Audra had to have a C-section, so we scheduled Max to be born the day after my oral defense for my first PhD, <laughs> and then we scheduled Maisie to be born about a month before I was going to graduate. Um, and I knew that I would have my dissertation done by then because I had to have it done a month before so my advisors could, you know, look at it. So I scheduled it, but 
I was just, I, I, I look back and so much is a blur. And so I really have an appreciation that, that you're present enough to really see how important that, that, that is. It, it strikes me that I might've missed out on a lot. <laughs> and, but even at this age, Max is, Max just turned 14. Maisie will turn 11 soon. Learning about emotions and um, and emotional health and emotional connection, I, like my relationship with both of my kids is more amazing than it's ever been. And so I do have a, a feeling or a sense that, you know, even if you mess up, like th- there's always time for repair and there's Absolutely. always time for just uh, giving that unvarnished love and attention. Yeah. Sorry. So you're a physician. How do you approach medical care for your wife and your daughter differently? Because you've like seen how the sausage is made, you know? And and so you know all the stuff going on behind the scenes. Somebody like me are just like, hey, man, like whatever the doctor says, go for it. Uh, um, yeah. So how do you uh, approach this? So there's, there's two sides to it. I, I'd say the one is um, it, it's been a definitely a very anxiety provoking part of my life now that we're getting older and I have a a child it's you know it's easy if if you have a personal medical issue or you like a couple years ago my appendix exploded so I had to get emergency uh, surgery for that and you don't think that much of it but when my wife or and and we had a very hectic birth um couple trips in and out of the hospital when it's when it's her I've I it, it it kills me uh and when my daughter has any issues it's it kills me too it's very different it's very hard to uh I don't know I don't know how to it's it's like a, a knife twisting in your stomach it's 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 tough to to deal with but I need to need to work with that do you feel I mean do you ever feel like I'm a doctor. Let me take over that. Like, can I, you know, I'm like, I'm a radiation oncologist. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So you're like the other way. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Maybe maybe that's it. I'm I'm in medicine, but helpless Mm. uh, for for a lot of their things. You know, my wife had, uh, had extremely high blood pressure during, uh, very acutely and had to have an emergency section and, it, she had postpartum eclampsia and it was just like, I was worthless besides just being worried, worried sick. Well, so you're, you, you, I'm assuming experienced that in a much more high stress way because you know what could happen for somebody yeah. like, like, like me. It's like, Oh, you know, that sounds bad, but uh, <laughs> you know, I don't really know what's going to, I mean, I, I don't, I, you know, I don't know all the things that could happen and you, yeah. you've, you've seen it. it. Yeah. And, and that was, so that was enlightening. And then the other, the other really enlightening thing was so, you know, when, when your wife gets pregnant, and you go to the OB, there's there's a million different OB, right? You go to these groups and you meet all of them because you don't know who's actually going to deliver. So it's really – some of them you love, some of them you don't. Mm. So that's a little hairy because you, you don't know who's going to be there the, the day you deliver. Wow. Um, the guy that delivered our uh, daughter was amazing, so we got extremely lucky. Um, but it really – let, it really ingrained again. I keep, I brought this up before, but the art of medicine versus the science. Mm. If you meet 
we met 12 different people and they all had such very different views on the same thing. So for instance, you know, you know, our diets. So I didn't want her to do the glucose tolerance test because we checked it at home. And I said, if you give her what is it, 150 or 250 grams of oh, yeah. right. her, her blood glucose is going to go through the roof. You're going to tag her. You're going to say she's done. So the one doc fought with us. The one doc was just like, you guys are difficult. Uh, you know, that I know people like you and, oh, and uh, it was, that was very frustrating. Whereas another doc who was great said, I totally get it. Um, you're checking blood glucose at home. Can you just do five days in a row? Can you check your blood glucose and then show me those results? And we did, and they were all perfect. And she said, you know, we're, we're good now. And like, that was amazing. And I nice. wish everyone could be like that. Oh. Uh, but she also was lived a very active lifestyle. I think she was like, Hey, these are, these are fit people. This is great. Whereas the other doc was like, you know, on the dock. Checking off the boxes. Yeah. Like, can you just let me check, check off this box? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it was that, that was very interesting. And it just, it just shows you there's, it, I mean, especially look around, you know, all this, it, it's science. There's so much like science talk. And, uh, the problem is in medicine, it, you know, there's so much that goes into how you view the science. Hmm. So I'm not saying interpretation. You know, we, yeah. It, yeah, exactly. We got so many different opinions from people that you have to remember that we're only humans analyzing these results or this data. And depending on your background, how you were raised, your, your culture, your, all these different things, you're going to view that data very differently. Hmm. And so we, you kind of experience that firsthand when you go into the, see the doctor every, so every couple of weeks and you get a total different response on telling them the exact same thing. Oh man. Oh yes. Yes. This, this, this all, this all feels so familiar. I mean, we're lucky now with Max has been in relatively good health, uh, except uh, he, you know, his, tumor recurred, but we've been on a MEK inhibitor and it's been super just smooth and chill. And so we haven't really had a lot of these experiences lately, but uh, I know that, yeah, we're, you know, it's like, this is the third different person that I've told this story to, and I'm getting three different reactions here. And um, yep. yeah, I can imagine. So you mentioned that your wife uh, has the same sort of lifestyle um, approach that you do. And so I imagine, you know, your daughter doesn't have a choice. And so she's in this with you guys. So what does that look like? What, so how does your whole, so you've talked about the diet, how do you approach uh, nutrition for your daughter? And then what does exercise and what are some of the other lifestyle things that you do that might be a little weird to other people? <laughs> <laughs> so with our daughter, we've, I mean, she eats everything we eat. We, she eats all the food we eat. So, mm. well, she eats a lot more avocados because she just loves avocados. And yeah. some of the food we give her ends up on the floor. But <laughs> besides those those shortcomings, yeah, we've we fed her duck, buffalo, um, calamari. I mean, we don't we don't give her any sweets. We she ate a piece of eighty seven percent dark chocolate only because she grabbed it out of my wife's hands and and just downed it in front of us. Uh, so yeah. yeah. So she eats it all and she, we're lucky. She loves it. I'm hoping that will continue. My wife had pulled pork 
my wife made pulled pork last night uh, and she loved it. She eats spicy food. You know, if we give her fruit, it's usually berries. We'll give her some bananas and things, which I don't need a lot of bananas. Uh, I don't need a lot of tropical fruit, but we'll throw in some tropical fruit first. That, that would maybe be the one difference. And then obviously we don't give her uh, wine or coffee. No so wine now. or coffee yet. All right. Wait until she's at least three or four. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I imagine you don't have to worry about exercise for for her because she just you know moves. Uh, she, I'm 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 sure she's she's in a perpetual state of of motion. Um, yeah. What does it look like for you guys though? How do you uh, approach your own physical activity? So right before COVID, about two months left to go. So we worked out at Duke, the gym at Duke, the undergrad gym. It was great. I felt like I was 20 years younger. Like I was back in college. Playing uh, hoops with yeah, exactly. with the kids, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm that creepy old guy that's terrible. <laughs> um, so, so we worked out there. It was actually awesome because Jolie was very far along, very obviously pregnant. Um, she she stopped squatting, and we we do heavy compound move movements, and um, so she didn't do everything. We were smart about it, but she would like going to the gym and be deadlifting with this very obvious baby in her stomach. Oh my God. It was cool because I noticed some of the older people in the gym, some of the older faculty were like looking at her and they're, they would like shake their head. Like, yeah, if, if she's doing this, I should be doing, she has a baby. Yeah. In yeah get to it. Yeah. So, yeah. And I remember the, uh, the one guy that worked at the gym, super cool guy was, he didn't realize she was pregnant. Um, Cause we would roll in with like coats on or whatever. And then the one day he was like, you've been pregnant all this time. And he was just like, <laughs> going nuts. <laughs> so it, it, it was cool. But, but we, um, we bought a bunch of weights for the home garage, knowing that once the baby came, you know, I wasn't going to the gym. She couldn't do a lot of the stuff in the gym. She had a C-section. Uh, I mean, we know at the time. But uh, so we got a bunch of like padded jump blocks. We got trap bar deadlift. We got a bar. We got a bunch of uh, bumper plates, um, kettlebells, and filled our garage up. We're lucky we did because then COVID hit. Oh man, we couldn't even. Yeah, I mean, we couldn't. There was even like get- a shortage of uh, like weightlifting equipment, right? Yeah, yeah, it was it was nuts because we we actually tried to get a little more, and um, we, yeah. we yeah, there was a huge waitlist. So, so that was great. And actually, um, we, we liked it. You know, we, I, I play old school music in the garage. I blast it. It's, uh, with our daughter, we, we don't blast it when she's in there, but like we would put her in there with us. She's like in her bouncy chair. Um, now she stands at the top of the steps watching me work out. We have this like little jail thing we put her in so she won't fall on the steps and she like watches and she claps and she jumps up and down and when i throw the weights she like thinks it's the funniest thing in the world so she watches everything we do she eats well she's we're giving her her life life lessons at a very a very young age and my wife does all the all the same stuff so in our Embody 101 course on the Daily Thrive, we talk about the importance of having your kids watch you work out. Like, so, um, what do you think about that? It, yeah, it's it's a hundred percent. When I think back, you know, I grew up in the '80s, so 
you know, there wasn't, I don't even, gyms weren't that big back then and exercise was more like jogging, but my, my family was extremely active. And I remember my, my dad played in all these softball leagues. He would go play basketball. Uh, and I just remember thinking he had like the largest biceps in the world. And, and to this day, I still think he had these massive, massive biceps. Yeah. Like Popeye. Yeah. 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 Or no, like Popeye had the forearms, but yeah. 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 And I remember thinking like, that's just normal. Like, everyone's that active and everyone works out. And then I remember, you know, basketball was, was big. I played in college and, um, I I thought I was pretty good in high school. My dad would still always crush me. He could, he blocked me out. He's real physical with me. He had the old man strength. Exactly. And and it, it really, it left an impression on me. And my older brother three years older than me was, was always into lifting, working out. So, you know, he was someone I really watched. He he introduced me to. It's funny. I just mentioned to him. I, there, there's a good Brad Schoenfeld textbook on hypertrophy that I just read, and um, uh, I was saying how man we were really we knew this stuff decades ago. Mm. And he's like, well, yeah, we read the right people, and he he introduced me to to the right people. Uh, so yeah, you know, that wasn't as, as big of a, a head start. He's only three years ahead of me, but he's, he's a big reason why I was physically active from a young age. So now, you know, we're adding, adding 10 year, a 10 year start on that. So I, I hopefully, I hope it pays dividends. All right. So you guys got the diet, you got the exercise lockdown. What are some of the other, other lifestyle things? Uh, sleep. I, I didn't, I sleep eight hours a night no matter what. Um, and then in the winter, I actually will do like nine hours of sleep. Um, mm. and granted my daughter will certainly wake us like last night she woke us up. Um, but I think the people underestimate the importance of sleep. Um, I can't work out like I am if I don't sleep, I can't work as productive as I can if I don't sleep. So what are some sleep-related behaviors that you do to make sure that you're going to be able to sleep as well as you do? I, I don't watch any... I mean, I don't watch much TV anyway, but I don't watch anything at night that's that's going to keep me up. Like, uh, the last time I watched anything at night was a Super Bowl, and uh, I could not sleep. No all way. Night. Yeah, you were just so was, pumped up, like the old man, Brady. Yeah. To go over. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I used to... like. I used to legit not be able to watch Steeler games because if I got ticked off, which I often oh, did, yeah. I couldn't sleep. And uh, so I try to read at night. Uh, I read a lot of nonfiction, which gets hard at night because I fall asleep. So I try to find better fiction books. Uh, Under the Scarlet Sky I've read recently. That was, that's actually nonfiction, but it's it's a pretty good read. So I try to read books at night. Um and I try to not, I, our lights in our house are all dim. They're all like Edison bulbs. They're not maybe the most energy efficient, but they're all very dim. And then we have LEDs upstairs that are, uh, can go any color. So I make them red at night. So there's no blue light. There's nothing. Um, okay. So for l- listeners who don't understand that. So the red light, you mentioned blue light. How does that help you sleep? So blue, blue light tells your, your brain that it's daytime and it cuts off melatonin production, uh, which, which really makes sense, right? When it got dark out for the last bajillion years, um, it would basically signal to our bodies that night was here. And so your body starts making melatonin. Melatonin makes you tired. Only since electricity did we have actual blue lights 
shining on our faces, keeping us up. You know, we, mm. we have fire and things like that. But again, these aren't these aren't blue lights. So the devices will basically signal to your brain that you should be alert. You should be awake. So if I use devices and I've gotten so addicted, so used to it that um, I mean, I have an, a, a F dot Lux. I have blue light filters on my computer and everything. But if I watch a lot of electronics at night, I just won't I won't sleep well anyway. Um, but there is a, even if it's like a Kindle book or, or something, will that not, not work? I don't, I don't read. I'm a, I'm an old school. I need the tangible book book in my hands. So I don't yeah. know about Kindle. That's a good question. Um, but movies and videos and things don't, yeah. don't often turn out well. Um, and yeah, and it, and there's a physiologic re, you know, Did reason. you see the study that came out a month or so ago about the, the moon cycles and sleep? No, no, but all right. So what they found, I will send it to you. I think it was like a nature study. What they found is across cultures. uh, It doesn't matter if they're, you know, uh, semi hunter gatherer out in the Amazon or if they're in Tokyo or whatever, that we humans get less sleep at night when the sun is around its full moon than Mm -hmm. other times in the month. And it doesn't matter if we're being flooded with city lights or in the jungle, uh, that we have just evolved over hundreds of thousands of years to have this cycle of sleep that, 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 uh, you know, we get slightly less sleep when the sun is around its full moon. Ah, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Check it out. Yeah. Pretty cool. (laughs) All right. So, um, so, so sleep, uh, diet, exercise, anything else, or are, are those like the big three that you, that if you can, the, the, yeah, those are like the big, the the big main ones. And then, I mean, yeah, you said about the weird stuff. I mean, we're, you know, like our mat, our mattress is latex. We don't have like, we try to avoid plastic. So kind of a non-toxic approach to home. Not exactly. Everything like our sheets, everything's like all cotton. Um, <laughs> we redid this old house in Pittsburgh. We, uh, brought a pretty cool hundred year old house to its glory. And we used like water bait, everything in it was non-toxic, all the paint. It was like non VOC. Yeah. And we had a whole list when we put it for sale, like the wiring, the, we avoided like caulking and all that. I don't think anyone else cared. I think oh people, man, that's so. Right? It's like, look at this masterpiece we put together. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> right? what does Zillow say? I don't, I don't care. <laughs> so we're 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 pretty big about that. And then, um, yeah, that's that's. I mean, it, it's just funny because people call this stuff like biohacking, and, and I'm, a lot of everything is just like. It's actually opposite of biohack. It's like doing what my 96-year-old grandfather did. Right. Yeah. One of the most, yeah, one of the simplest ways, uh, you know, when I got into this stuff and I started to follow you and a bunch of other people around 2013-ish, what I eventually, when we started to, to develop programs for Max of Project and we were thinking, how can we make this information as easy as possible? We just say look at what your great grandparents did. Like, look at the whole thing, like when they went to bed, how they slept, how they moved, how they ate and just do that. Right. Because that's, that's like hundreds of thousands of years of, of, uh, you know, information there. Yeah. All, all the stuff that we've had, I mean, it's so valuable that we've had thousands of years of trial and error. Like we, we can't, 
you know, we, we can only do the studies we can do now, but a lot of this stuff has been through literal, like millions of people, thousands and thousands of years. So there's a lot of answers in, in that data. Okay, my next thing for you to geek out on then with, uh, you know, this ancestral approach to health is male tears, male crying. Because I just read this article the other day on the lost art of the manly cry. And it's all because I'm like going way deep into emotions. And apparently for the vast majority of cultures around the world, for as far back in recorded history, uh, history as we can go. M- male cr- crying was something done openly, done, you know, for a wide range of things. And it was just a part of life. And then, uh, according to this article, at the beginning of the industrial age, urbanization, uh, as, as, uh, people went from their small little villages into these big cities and we basically lived with strangers. And instead of working in the same, you know, thing that your father and your grandfather did, you're now going to a factory or the office. Um, that male emotions or really all emotions just had to be, uh, you know, clamped down because it was it wasn't good for the factory it wasn't good for the uh for uh office culture and then also you're not as free you, you don't feel as free to share your emotions when you're living amongst a bunch of strangers and so i was really uh, so i was thinking like okay this is this is the next part of the ancestral health movement is c- crying I mean, it's totally reasonable as a man to cry. Like, I cried when the Steelers lost the Super Bowl. Uh, When when my dog dies, it's going to be a sad day. No, you you bring up a a good point. I I, I think, uh, you know, I've been reading a lot on corporate culture. Mm. And I think there is this, like, I actually was just talking to my buddy about this. There is this, like, you can't show any emotion. You can't joke. You can't, you, you just have to be this amorphous blob of nothing and then right. you get home and you're like mm. like oh my god i need to mm. you know it's 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 a bizarre yeah it's a bizarre thing to try to block just normal human highs and lows interactions yeah yeah so all right i am going to be awaiting uh, a big uh, Colin Champ study on tears in a few years. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we're we're coming up against time. So I want to just really briefly talk about, first of of all, has anything had to dramatically change? Uh, Any self-care routines dramatically change since you've become a father? And if so, how have you made it work? Oh yeah. I mean, the, the, the sleeping has been the, the big one and we just, we yeah. just really, yeah, I, I make sure I get that sleep. And if, you know, if she keeps us up for an hour, I'm, I'm, I'm sleeping in or going to bed earlier the next night. And that's really just been, you know, in the beginning it was, it was so, she was up so much. It was, it was just killing us. So that, that's been a, that's been a huge change. And then, um, the the instrumental thing has has really just I'm really trying to not especially on my you know once the work day is over on the weekend 
hits, I'm just trying to not have every second of the day accounted for and have it with mm-hmm. a goal-oriented activity, which really kind of has defined my last many years of my life. I think it's going to be very positive. I just, I don't know. I, I try to think back on my childhood and the things that made me happiest. Uh, and it, You know, goals are part of it, but that's not all the things I think back on. And, you know, I'm not going to look back. I'm, I'm 40 now. I'm not going to look back when I'm 60 and be like, oh, the best part of being 40 was when I did yeah. this at work or got yeah. this many RVUs oh. or published that review article. Oh, my God. Oh, yes. You're speaking poetry to me. <clears throat> All right. So uh, the final regular question before we get into the three questions we're, we're asking every podcast guest is uh, first, uh, Colin, what is at the edge? Like what is, what is really new and challenging in your own personal growth and development? Like what's the thing that you're really trying to work on right now? Yeah, I, 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 I don't want to keep talking about the same thing too much, but, but it's really being okay with not having everything measured or, or not measuring myself with these outcomes mm. uh, and just, just enjoying life. And, you know, it's everything. And this isn't, my field is by no means special. This is everywhere now. It's, it's pervasive, but uh, you know, for me it was study, get a grade, study, get a grade, study, get a grade. Okay. College degree, studying grades, studying grades. Okay. Got my MD. Then residency, then it's published papers. How many papers can you publish? I'm up to almost 60 now. If I keep going, I could get to 100. And then it's, it, it just, it never, it never ends. And it's, it's like the treadmill of consumption, but the treadmill of goal, I, I don't know. So, you, so it's easier to do it and be like, no, this is healthy. This isn't actually pathologic. It's, it's healthy because it's my career. So it's balancing. And, and I work for a nice place. So I've worked for stressful places in the past. So it's, it's not them even, it's not like they're driving me. Uh, so it's, it's making, you know, my boss happy, uh, obviously taking care of my patients to the, to the fullest that goes without saying, uh, but taking care of, of my family to the fullest and, and me as well. And that's why sleep is so important because I know that if I'm not healthy, you know, my, my family can't be healthy. My job can't be healthy. So it's just, categorizing all those things in my head and figuring out a strategy where, you know, I can, I can make everyone happy enough, um, but still be whole inside. Mm, mm, Awesome. Well, we're excited to uh, follow you on that journey. All right, so let's get into the last three questions we ask everyone. These are like kind of quick fires. So the first one is if you could put a big post-it note on every parent's fridge tomorrow morning, what would that post-it note say? It'd say fast and slow. Fast and slow. Okay. Oh, well, so I, I'm going to need a second post-it note just to describe what, the, what that means. Just what does that mean every to you? Day there's it's comprised of fast and slow moments. It's mm. not all if it's all slow, you no, nothing gets done, and it, mm. if it's all fast, you want to pull your hair out. The day is you know get up, relax, with a cup of coffee, finish your book, hang out with your daughter, uh, get a workout, and boom, fast. Go back to the go to work. You grind it out for eight hours. It's just the 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 day is up and down. 
and to roll with the punches and roll it, with the punches. Yeah. It's make, taken me a while to, to figure that out that life and your day is walking intermixed with lots of sprints mm. and make room. Okay. So make room for the fast and the slow. All right. Exactly. All right. Nice. The last quote that changed the way you think or feel. One I heard recently, I heard a Mark Twain one recently, but I can't remember it. Uh, I've heard one recently about smart people not necessarily being wise or something like that. Mm. Smart does. Uh, oh my God. Well, I, I, I resonate with that so deeply spending as much of my life in academia as I have. And you know, this uh, move to the family thrive for me, I, I, st- I'm now starting to think of myself as a recovering academic. And so I just look, <laughs> look back and, and, um, uh, it's so true. It's like, Oh my God, I know, I know so many smart people. I've come across so many really smart, smart people. How many of them were wise? Oh boy. I, yeah. I'll tell you, I definitely could count them on one hand and I wouldn't use up all the fingers. Let's, let's just, let's just say that. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, I'm still in academia um, and you, you see it all the time and it's fine. Everyone doesn't have to be, have to be wise, but then maybe we shouldn't always turn to those people to be wise if they're actually not. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, oh my gosh, I just feel like it would be so much better if, if academia made more room or had some sort of incentive to be wise. I don't know. <laughs> like there's no incentive, yeah. I feel like. Well, there, there's, the, 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 the problem is, to piggyback on that, the problem is, there's a book on this and I can't think of the name about, it's like the introvert in you or something like that. But the most, the loudest people generally, they're the ones that climb to the top or they're the ones whose voices are heard at meetings. Yeah. Whereas like the wise, sagey, like dorky, whatever people are sitting in the back of the room brainstorming what the plan should be. And like their plan is obviously mastermind, masterful, but then the loud unwise whatever well, and i'm sure they're also saying like i am not going to get in the middle of this viper nest here you yep. know <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so then so and so from the university of whatever who's an academic must be blah blah is heading this committee and and then you, oftentimes you'll see that like on the news or on and then you'll see people that work with them being like oh god yeah. this is this oh, is yeah. a disaster yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it, but it all goes back to incentives. And so the incentives are publishing and grant and grant money. And so neither of those require wisdom. They require, uh, you know, strategic thinking. They require being, being smart. You know, they require a bunch of things, but none of them like really require wisdom. I mean, if, of course, there are wise people who do that stuff, it's just not a requirement and it's not part of the incentives. Yeah. All right. So uh, the last question we want to ask all, all of our guests, because as you know, especially when you have young kids, you can uh, have a rough day and let out a sigh. That sounds something like this kids. Uh, right. And so we all know that, you know, it's, it's, it can be stressful and exhausting, but we want to end by celebrating kids. So Colin, what is your favorite thing about kids? They remind you nonstop to keep playing. Mm, play. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah, the, you can, I had the longest day Friday. I was stuck in an hour of, of traffic. I, 
it was like seven o'clock at night. I got home and like I jumped through the door and my daughter's playing peekaboo. <laughs> She's in the peekaboo fit. And it's just like, all right, boom. I can't yeah. complain. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Oh, Colin, thank you so much for this interview. I think we got a lot out of it. We definitely want to have you back. Um, Great. I'd love to. Thanks for having me. All right, man. Take care. Justin, appreciate it. Hey, if you like what we're doing here at the Family Thrive Podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast player, share it with other parents in your life, and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. The Family Thrive is a movement, not a moment, so let's spread the love.